Have you ever heard someone say God is in control? This is a phrase I heard a lot when growing up and going to church. Being young, I didn't pay close attention to how the person lived when they said this. And now that I'm older, I realize a person will live a certain way if they believe these statements. When someone believes that God is in control, even if times are hard, they would do their best to live faithfully no matter the circumstances. In this episode of Groundwork, we will examine the book of Daniel to see how people live when they truly believe that God is in sovereign control over all things. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Scott, we are beginning a six-part series on the book of Daniel. Needless to say, Daniel is a very interesting book. It's broken into two parts. Half of it is narrative and the other half is prophetic visions. And I'm excited to get into it with you. Daniel is a curious book because uh, many people know just maybe two main stories, which we will cover in this series, and they kind of don't know much about the whole rest of the book. In fact, that second half of the book that you just mentioned, Daryl, where we get into prophetic visions, it almost borders on the apocalyptic now and then, that is not very well known to people at all. They know some stories about Daniel in the lion's den or the fiery furnace, but a lot of the book of Daniel isn't as well known, but uh, we're going to try to, in six episodes, cover the whole book both the the narratives, which will be the first part of the series, and then some of the more prophetic parts that come later. And the prophetic parts that you mentioned, they kind of echo Revelation. So you remember we did a series not too long ago on the book of Revelation Mm -hmm. where this literature is being brought out, and that style is the, the style that the last part of the book of Daniel is similar to. And before we get into it, I think we should Think about the time, Mm -hmm. where we are in the history of Israel, what's going on, because right now we're around 600 B.C., where the fall of the northern kingdom has already happened. They used to be united under David and Solomon, but after that, they broke into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. 722 B.C. is when the northern kingdom was fallen by Assyria and then Babylon in 586. So right in the ministry of Daniel, you see this is when the exile is happening, and that is what is happening in real time in his book. So we are in the exile. We are in that uh, roughly 70-year period between Nebuchadnezzar's conquering of Jerusalem and of the kingdom of Judah, and then eventually the release of Israel back to the uh, promised land, back to Israel under the Persian king Cyrus after Cyrus defeats Nebuchadnezzar uh, years later. And uh, so we are right in the middle of the exile, and that's where the action takes place. But let's remember, Daryl, why there was an exile. Israel was the chosen people of God. They were given the promised land, conquered uh, under Joshua. So how did they end up in exile? Well, the reason they ended up in exile, you've got to go all the way back to the Exodus. Moses is the deliverer that God used to bring them out of Egypt. Mm -hmm. And then he came down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments and the law so that they would know how they should live in that land. The theme of the book of Deuteronomy is to remember, remember God's commands, remember God's acts. And in Deuteronomy 28, he gives conditions under which they should live in that promised land. And we'll talk about that right now, where in chapter 28, it has conditions. Moses tells the people, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord. You will be blessed. The city will be blessed. The country will be blessed. Everything's great, 
right? So the Lord will give you great blessing if you obey him. But there's a second part to this, Daryl. So I love that you read this because the word if sticks Mm -hmm. out. It's a conditional clause. God says, if you obey me, you'll be blessed. But he also turns it over in the other part of the verses. If you do not obey, it says in verse 15, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You skip down to 25. You will come at them from one direction, but flee in seven, and you will become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And this is the one that sticks out to me in verse 49. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away from the ends of the earth, like an eagle swooping down, a nation whose language you will not understand, a fierce nation without respect for the old or pity for the young. They will devour the young of your livestock and the crops of your land until you're destroyed. They will leave you no grain, new wine, or olive oil, or any calves or herds or lambs or your flocks until you are ruined. And they will lay siege to all your cities throughout the land until the high fortified walls in which you trust fall down. So the idea, Scott, is that If you obey God, you will be blessed. If you disobey God, you will be cursed. And they actually will bring you into exile. And that's how we got here with the book of Daniel. This is the repercussions of not following God's laws. And God had sent prophets for many, many years, going as far back, you know, as Elijah and Elisha, trying to call both the northern kingdom of Israel, the the ten tribes of the northern kingdom, and the two tribes of the southern kingdom known as Judah. The prophets kept calling. The prophets kept confronting them. You're breaking the law. You're abusing the poor. You know, all the things God told you in Leviticus, in the Ten Commandments, but also the laws, the laws to protect widows and orphans and aliens. You're breaking them. You know, think of prophets like Amos. You're selling the poor uh, for profit, trampling the, the vulnerable underfoot. Stop! And they never stopped. And they never stopped. And finally, you know, you get prophets like Jeremiah eventually who will come and weep, the weeping prophet, because now it's done. You were warned. The curses of Deuteronomy that Moses warned you about, they're coming. And they did come for the northern kingdom. It came through Assyria. About a century later, for the southern kingdom of Judah, it came from the Babylonians. And they carted all of the people who didn't get killed in the siege of Jerusalem. They carted them off to Babylon, where they would be for a good 70 years. And it's unfortunate that in God and his mercy gave centuries and centuries of warnings that if they would have listened and they would have repented, then they wouldn't have been in the situation they were in. But because they failed to do that, because their hearts were hard, the consequences of their actions kind of caught up with them, Scott. And that is how the book of Daniel begins in that backdrop of these are the things that happen Mm -hmm. as consequences of failing to obey a merciful God who gave chance after chance. And we did a series on Groundwork some while ago on the book of Ezekiel. And if you remember, uh, Daryl, Ezekiel 10 and 11, Ezekiel has this vision where the Spirit of God, the presence of God, leaves the temple, right? That was always what made Israel unique. The Almighty God, Yahweh, dwelled in the Holy of Holies in the temple, sat upon the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant like it was God's earthly throne, and Ezekiel sees that spirit of God, the glory of God, departs the temple and literally heads to the hills. Ezekiel says, someday that glory will come back, 
And as we said in that series, ultimately that only happens with Jesus, who will become the true temple in which God dwells again. But in the meantime, Israel is facing the consequences of its sin. And among the people who got carted off into exile is somebody named Daniel and several friends. And in just a moment, we're going to go right to Daniel chapter 1 and pick up the action there. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And we just said, Daryl, we're going to go to Daniel 1. So here we go. Daniel 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. Skip down a little bit. So now the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. And among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names, to Daniel, the name of Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So, I mean, before we get into this, this is so much good stuff here, Scott. I think we just need to give a backdrop and understand that even though God is not mentioned all the time in this book, God is the main character of this Mm. book. Nothing happens apart from God's will in this book. And God has allowed the Israelites, these people, the best and brightest, if you will, to be taken into exile for some reason. And his reason is that he'll get the glory out of it. And so the first thing that needs to be established, Scott, is that God is the main character. The reason why these things are happening, not because God caused them, but because he can work in spite of them because he is a God over all things. And if there's one thing Babylon wants to do, it's to try to make them forget about that God right? They want to supplant Israelite religion, Israelite customs with Babylonian religion and Babylonian customs. And one of the first things they do is give them new names. They don't want them using their Hebrew names. They give them new names. Now, what's interesting, Daryl, is Daniel is the Hebrew name of Daniel, and it's used all through the book. We know Daniel. The other three characters maybe because of Sunday school days and the story of the fiery furnace that we'll get to in our third episode of this series, we know them by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But their real Hebrew names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the author of Daniel is very clever. He uses those Hebrew names as often as he can as a way of saying, you 
Nebuchadnezzar, you, you Babylonian officials, you are not going to knock the Yahweh out of these people. You are not going to take the Hebrewness out of these Israelite boys. They are going to stay true to God, and we will be seeing that in this story uh, and in subsequent stories. Name and identity are extremely powerful in the life of someone. So if you can remember your name, if you can remember the name of the people you come from, that can give you strength in a very foreign place, in a place that's unfamiliar. And the author is clear to say that they have been given the aptitude to learn and to grow and to be able to understand Babylonian culture and language. God has given them the ability to do that. And God has not delivered them out of a situation that might be uncomfortable for them, but he's given them exactly what they need to thrive in a situation that does not seem ideal. You know, it really bothers me sometimes when I hear people say, well, I can't work there because there's not enough Christians there. Or they say, this is not my cup of tea, quote unquote, because they don't feel like, okay, they don't believe what I believe, or they don't go the way I go as far as what I hold it dear to myself in my mm-hmm. life and my beliefs. Right. But God has given us the ability to shine our light no matter what context we find ourselves in. And Daniel and his friends have shown that God can do that. And they apply themselves. I mean, they, they do well in the king's service. And it reminds you, Daryl, of that verse from Jeremiah, where Jeremiah says to the exiles in Babylon, pray for the prosperity of that city. Yes. Because if the city does well, even though it's a Babylonian city, if the city does well, you will do well and can survive until that day when I'm going to deliver you. And so uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are good examples of working for the prosperity of the enemy, really, of Babylon, but that's what God told them to do. However, they weren't going to do it all in Nebuchadnezzar's way, and that's the next important part of the story, starting in verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief official for permission to not defile himself this way. God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. And basically at the end of the 10 days, Scott, they were found healthier and they looked more nourished than everybody else. So he said, "Okay, you can continue with that. This was an issue of integrity for Daniel was an issue of purity for Daniel. It says that he didn't want to defile himself. Now, there are some cases where they uh, worship other gods in Babylon. And so this is some of the food and drink that they had sacrificed to the idols. And Daniel wanted no part of that because he wanted to devote himself to God. But also Leviticus tells them the foods that they should and should not eat. And some of this could have been not kosher and for their own health and for their own religion, they're not going to eat it. And it might be more than that too, because, you know, as Walter Brueggemann, the great Old Testament scholar said, the thing is, if you eat the king's food, sooner or later, you begin to think the king's thoughts after him. Okay. And we've seen this, you know, you, you can just imagine that, let's say in the United States, you, you got some great job in the White House and the president, you know, elevated you and, and you got to attend state dinners and you hung out with the celebrities who come to the White House and you, you hang out with foreign heads of state and you eat all this great food from the White House kitchen. And eventually you don't want to mess that up. 
And someday maybe you have an occasion where you need to tell the president you disagree, but you don't want to do it because I want to keep eating that food. I want to keep having my place at the table, right? But instead, as Brueggemann says, Daniel is going to risk his oddness. And he said, me and my friends, we are children of a different bread. We are children of a different bread. We don't want to, you can call me Belteshazzar instead of Daniel, but I am serving Yahweh first of all and not Nebuchadnezzar. And I don't want to get so cozy with Nebuchadnezzar that I forget who I am and whose I am, to whom I belong. And that's my God, Yahweh. It's interesting that you said that they put their oddness on the line. Mm. Daniel could have very well put his literal life on the line because if you defy the king, if you disagree with the king, if you oppose the king, it's nothing that's keeping that king from taking your life. Exactly. Are you defying me? Oh, you're you're out of here. Oh, you you think you can oppose me? Who do you think you are? And so Daniel actually put his life on the line saying, I don't want to eat this food and drink this drink. I want to honor God with my body and I want to honor God with my life. And so he knew he could have been killed for that. But yep. it's really crazy because he decided that he would put that on the line and sacrifice it because he wasn't going to sacrifice his integrity in the devotion they had to God. And we've all heard the phrase, when in Rome, right? When in Rome, do as the Romans do. But Daniel said, I'm in Babylon, but I'm not going to do as the Babylonians do because I want to keep my heart devoted to my God above all. And indeed, it did risk his life. But coming up next, uh, let's break down the final section of that chapter and get to some practical applications. So stay tuned. When we take a trip, Whether for just a few days, weeks, or even months, we leave home with the intention of returning at the end of our journey. Whatever prompts our travels, whether exploration or relaxation, or work or service, or even escaping disaster or strife, the hope of returning home comforts us. Our Christian life is like that. Wherever we go, for however long, and for whatever reason, we need to know that God is always with us and gives us a place to call home wherever we may be. Join today in September for a series of devotions on going home. Refresh, refocus, and renew at todaydevotional.com. I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork. And as we come to the close of the first chapter of Daniel, we just want to talk about some practicals that go along with it. But before that, we want to explain a little bit about the abilities that God has given Daniel that we see in the first chapter. So Daniel and his friends said, we're going vegetarian. We're not going to eat all the king's rich food. We don't want to get sucked into uh, the king's way of living and seeing. And they turn out to be healthier after a 10-day test period than all the guys who are eating all the rich, you know, filet mignon and, and hollandaise sauce on their asparagus. So these guys end up being very healthy. And God rewards them. God, verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. That's going to be important for our next program. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented these four to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So we see that God, the main character, again, shows up. Not only does he give favor with the servant, 
that is actually in charge of mm-hmm. them, who gives them the food. He gives them the ability to understand dreams and visions. God is the one who is going to get the glory for all the things that is happening in their lives. And one thing that's important to note as well is that they do what they can do with, to the best of their ability, and they leave to God to do what he does to the best of his ability. So they want to make sure that they honor God and be excellent and do things to 100% of what they can do. But then the things that are beyond their control, they allow God to handle, like being thrown into exile in the first place. Mm. They have no say over that. But they do have say over how they do with the language and culture. He allows them to be exalted. All glory to God uh, is what they say. It reminds me of a couple of verses uh, from the New Testament from 1 Corinthians. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And that's what Daniel and his friends did. Or Colossians 3, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And that is the position, Daryl, of um, Daniel uh, and and his friends, who uh, once again were referred to with their Hebrew names and what we just read, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They are true to God, and God is true to them, and they give God the glory. So I believe that because they're humble and they always give God the glory, that's actually a good model for us as Christians. We shouldn't get caught up in, we earned this, we did it our way. The false meritocracy that this world tries to give us, like, oh yeah, I did that. And my name is on this and I'm important because of this. We don't get our identity or our value from the things that we produce, but we give glory to God because he is the one that gave us the ability to do that. So when my kids get good grades and they come in with their chest poked out, they're like, and they're so excited. They're like, dad, look, look at my grades. And I say, who made you smart? And they say, oh yes, Jesus made us smart. So God gave us the ability to learn. He gave us the ability to pass the test. So at a young age, we're trying to help them understand, give God the glory for what they do. I think when I came home with report cards with less than good grades, my dad assured me that that was on me. Um, uh, uh, and uh, maybe I should uh, look to Jesus a little bit more. But indeed, they looked to Yahweh. And again, as you said earlier, Daryl, they all four could have been killed for disobeying the king's order to eat his food and his wine at his table. They could have been killed. And they took a risk. I mean, they trusted that they would turn out fine after their 10-day vegetarian diet. But they didn't know. They trusted God, and God rewarded them and took care of them. And that maybe reminds us of a final practical thing that we can think about, Daryl, as we close out this episode. Context should not define our character, right? I mean, we're we're always tempted to let our context go with the flow, you know, go along to get along, you know, different strokes for different folks. These are classic American slogans, which says, hey, you know, you conform. Wherever you're at, you conform. And yet this is a story of four men who wouldn't conform because they wanted to stay true to God. And even if we're the only ones standing, shining our light, it is still worth it because God gets the glory out of that. Many of the movements during the civil rights time and things where people were fighting against injustice, the majority was saying, no, this isn't the way we're supposed to do this. But then they realized because of Christ and because of the Bible that there is a way to justice, there is a way to shalom, and there's a way to get there together. And so even though it was not a popular opinion, they didn't do it for popularity. And as Christians, we have to understand that sometimes we're put in a very uncomfortable situation and we may be the only ones speaking out and crying out for righteousness, but God has given us the ability to not only do the best we can there, but honor God and remember who's in control and has the final say over it. It isn't the government. It isn't the king. It is Christ and Christ alone. 
when you think about it, when you think about their their context, right, they had every reason to think God had let him down. What do we owe God? Uh, if, if God had been with us, why, why didn't he defend Jerusalem? How could Jerusalem have fallen? How could the temple have been destroyed and its precious artifacts carried off here to Babylon to enrich King Nebuchadnezzar, this, this loathsome character? They had every reason to sort of think, we don't owe God nothing. Uh, he, he let us down, you know, but no. They don't understand maybe all the, the, the reasons and, and the whys and the wherefores, but they still believe God is with them in that context, in that place, in that uncomfortable situation, and they want to honor him and be faithful, and they did, and thanks be to God. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your host, Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and we hope you will join us again next time as we study King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams in Daniel chapters 2 and 4. Connect with us online at GroundworkOnline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit that website, reframeministries.org, for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris. Our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.